last couple months, we've been moving through the book of Acts. All right, good. See, this week you guys got it, and I didn't have it on the screen like normally, so I'm proud of you. We've been working through the first seven chapters through the book of Acts, which all talks about how the Holy Spirit moved through the early church to spread the gospel, right? Uh, And last week we talked about, in Acts chapter 4, how the first followers of Jesus responded to being threatened to to be quiet, to stop preaching the gospel. Stop preaching, bad things are going to happen. And so what did they do? They said, Lord, help us be bold. They said, we don't care. We don't care about these. Well, we do care, and because we care, we need your boldness, because we know that this is what you've called us to do. Uh, And if if you miss this, I encourage you uh, to listen via the podcast and on the Church Center app or on the website or on YouTube, uh, because I think it was a powerful message in reminding us what our call is in life and the strength where we get to have that call. Now, if you were in the 9 a.m. service, you'll remember at the end, I felt like the Lord wanted me to speak to somebody that was in the 9 a.m. that felt like they had failed uh, in being somebody who would share Jesus with others. And so I gave them a little encouragement. And, and after that prayer that I gave, or that encouragement, and a few other conversations that I've had with some of you that have come up to talk to me, I'm going to jump off the book of Acts for just, just a week here. Um, and, and I want to talk about something that's kind of close to what we talked about next week and last week. And I want to talk about a man who was also called to go and, and preach on behalf of God. Um, and, 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 so, and that man is, is named Jonah. And uh, I know it can't get more random than switching from Acts to Jonah. In fact, Frank, running our slides, he picked his head in my office this morning. He's like, Jonah? You know, which I get. And that's why one thing I love about Frank. He's always making double-checking the details. And I know it's random, but you'll see. It all connects. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to have the slides up top, but we have Bibles in the, pew, in the seats for you. You can pull them out. We're going to be on page 726. 726. So you can follow along there if you want. It's also, if you know, it has a hard shell on it. So if you take one of those uh, announcement sheets you got on the way in, the backside, you can take some notes. Taking notes helps you to stay focused, helps you not to wander off. Write down a few key things that God says to you. You can even write down some questions you have. Sometimes people have questions about what I said, like, I don't get this, or how can this be so? Write them down, and then text them to me, or or call me with them, or email them to me, because uh, sometimes you have great insights, and it helps me uh, to be a better teacher in the future, or it can help me answer the questions that you have. All right, so as you're turning there, uh, I'd like to ask a question. Can anybody remember the first job that they got fired from. And I want something from when you're young, not something recent where you're still hurt over because we don't have time for like a Dr. Phil counseling session. So something when you were young. Can anybody remember? Raise your hand if you do and you're willing to speak out publicly, even though they can't hear you. Oh, Heather, what did you get fired from? And what did you, how did you get fired from your job in college? You didn't show. And why didn't you show up to your job in college? You wanted to go to Fargo. <laughs> All right. So note to self, if you don't ever show up at work at the office, call your husband, find out where you're at. I appreciate it. What was the job? Computer lab. All right. All right. Anybody else? Uh, yes, ma'am. UBA. Yes. Wow. 
I am too important for this menial work, so you do it, boss, or else I'm done. Nice, nice, I like that. That's, that's all right, all right. Albert, how did you uh, get fired from? You didn't know what you... <laughs> okay, just because I've asked you to do electrical things, have you gotten better at electrical work since then? Okay, that was 10 years ago. Did you burn anything down? Kept, yeah. Simple things. Okay, good. Yeah, electrical work is not something you want to mess up with. I know enough. Um, if anybody at home, you got fired for something, send it me in an email or text me because I want to hear about it. it. Might give me a future sermon illustration. I remember the first job I got fired from was a dishwashing job. There was a high school football game I wanted to go to, and I was signed that night. So I thought I would be cute. And I went and I, she wrote it in pencil on the schedule, and I went and erased it, you know, that I was on there. And so then, you know, I got there the next day, and she's like, why are you here? You're fired. I'm like, why am I fired? She goes, you didn't show up for work last night. And I said, she goes, I go, I wasn't on the schedule. And she said, yes, you were. And I said, show me. And, and she showed me the paper, and I realized how horrible I was at erasing it, because you could still see the outline. So, yeah, so I got fired from that. Um, Yes, even pastors commit heinous sins. But the football game was great. So, I mean, you know. Anyway. All right. So, now what happens when we get fired, right? We don't go there anymore, do we? Right? We, we, we don't go there anymore. We don't get paid by the company anymore. We, we leave that place in our past because we are no longer wanted, right? Now, the reason I bring this up, because a lot of us have gotten fired at one point or another. And I feel like sometimes as Christians, we can feel like we've been fired from God. We've been fired from serving God. We, we get this idea, we start thinking to ourselves about all the times that we have failed God, all the times that we've slept in or done other things and we haven't gone to church, or, or all the times in weeks and months and years that we haven't served in our church. You know, how many times we've had an opportunity to tell people about Jesus and we just kept it quiet? How many times God has prompted us to pray for somebody or invite someone to church and we just didn't do it? Or all the times that we've chosen Sin, where the temptation came in and, and we gave in to that temptation. Or all the times that we've ignored reading our Bible. Or we've not acted like a Christian. And it can be easy to think when we look in the mirror, man, I am such a failure. What can God do with someone like me? Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. And the problem is we let these kind of thoughts and feelings take root in our, in our, in our, in our lives, in our hearts. And, and, and in a sense, we kind of just stop showing up for work. We stop showing up for God in our lives. We stop getting up in the morning and thinking, man, how can God use me today? And yet we read in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. And so it's with this tension between the way that we feel and what God's word says that I want to look at the life of Jonah today and see what it has to teach us about how God views his call on our lives. So for any of you who are a little rusty on Jonah, Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament's all about the nation of Israel, the nation that Jesus was born out of. 
And, and God said to Jonah one day, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and tell them I am going to bring judgment upon them. I am going to rain down on them because of their evil, because of their sin. Now, Jonah didn't want to go because he hated Nineveh. He could not stand them. And to be honest, Nineveh were horrible neighbors. They did nasty things. And so Jonah's like, I'm good. So what does Jonah do? He gets on a boat and he sails in the opposite direction of Nineveh. I'm good. I'm going to pass on this one, Lord. And then what happens after that? Well, because Jonah sails off in the opposite direction, God can't find him, and Jonah lives happily ever after. That's probably what he was hoping for. But anybody knows the story, God brings a huge storm to Jonah's boat. And long story short, everybody figures out, because Jonah confesses it, this storm is probably because of me. So what do they do? They throw the dude overboard. And Jonah goes into the water, and he's, and he's swallowed by a huge fish for a few days. And, 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 and he repents to God and all that he's done. And, then God, and gives God thanks for saving him. And so three days later, the fish spits him out onto dry land. And that brings us to where we're going to be today in Jonah chapter 3. Now, before we go any farther, we actually get to what we're really talking about today. There's always this question I get when I talk about Jonah. They're like, dude, did this really happen? I mean, come on, did this really happen? I mean, a fish swallowed a dude, and he lived after three days. Because it seems a little far-fetched. Now, there are plenty of fish that are big enough to swallow somebody. Took a couple pictures just to show you. If you look at the size, that's not a, there's not an issue with size here, all right? And there are stories in recent times of men and women being swallowed by fish. Some of them seem credible. I don't know them people firsthand. I don't know if they're all true. But you know what? None of it really matters. I'm going to tell you why. The Greek word for fish means sea creature. That's it. It just means sea creature. So it could have been, it could have been a fish. could have been a whale. It could have been a sea creature that doesn't even exist anymore. It, you know, who knows? It could have been a sea creature that literally God created for one purpose, and that was to swallow Jonah, and that's it. We don't know. We don't know. And we could talk about all the ways, you know, how it would be possible or impossible for Jonah to get oxygen in the, the belly of a whale, but you know what? In the end, it doesn't matter. And here's why. If, if God created everything, if we didn't come out of this big bang of nothing, right? Just, just one day we all appeared out of nothing. If God created everything, then is it really shocking that he could create a fish to do whatever he wanted to do? Okay. If God can raise the dead and make them alive again, and see all the beautiful things we see in this world, then he can do whatever it is he wants. So I'm not going to question his ability to create a creature to do what he wants either. If Jesus is who he says he is. There is no limit to what God can do. All right. So with that said, it brings us to chapter three. We're going to be spending our time today. So Jonah's been spit up on the ground. He's wiping off stomach guts off of him, you know, cleaning up, you know, trying to wash himself, a little axe body spray to smell a little better. And that brings us to three one. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, big city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And the first time I ever studied this, 
when I was reading the text, my first question that came to mind is, why ask Jonah a second time? I mean, part of me wonders if Jonah thought that even though God had saved him, God was going to clearly ask somebody else, some other prophet, to go to Nineveh. I mean, he writes in chapter 2 this big, long poem about how God saved him, but he never talks about continuing on the original journey that God asked him to. I mean, surely there was another prophet alive, a better prophet, a more willing prophet that he could ask to go preach to Nineveh. I mean, none of us would hire somebody who didn't want to work for us. We wouldn't want that. It's a pain. But God says to Jonah, you don't get to quit. And I'm not going to fire you. And here's why this matters to us today. Like we said in our introduction, every single one of us have failed God at one time or another by not doing what he has commanded us to do. I mentioned some of the ways already, and there's probably many more. And and as I said, it can be tempting to feel like we are no longer worthy to be used by God. That we can't do the things that he asks us to do in his word. I mean, I, I looked at it this morning again. When I look at myself in the mirror, I see all my faults. You don't get to see all my faults. You get to see some of them, but you don't get to see all of them. And I, and I man, I'm like, I am so unworthy to be a pastor. You have no idea how unworthy I am. My wife has a good idea. And I'm just like, man, I have, I'm not worthy to teach my kids about Jesus. I mean, because I mess up all the time. And the truth is, I'm right. I am not worthy. I'm not. I'm not worthy to serve God. If Jesus is who he says he is, you're not worthy to serve God either. Now, the mistake we normally make is we feel down and we feel sad when we think about this. But the truth is, this realization should bring us joy. It should encourage us. This is the one time being a failure should cause us to celebrate where we're able to say, hallelujah, I am a failure. Praise God, I cannot get it right. And here's why you can say this with joy. It's not you who makes yourself worthy. Christianity teaches it's God who makes you worthy. I mean, look at Jonah. He literally quit on God. He literally tried to run the other way. I, not, I don't, I'm going to guess that most of us in our time have never said no to God. We have never straight out said no to God and tried to go the other way. We'll try to ignore him, not pay attention, but no, no, not doing that. But God still said, look, you're still the guy for the job. You are going to do what I have asked you to do. You're not fired. I have chosen you and I'm going to put my power on you to preach my message. And it takes this Wait off when we realize this, because without God, you spend your entire life basing your value on what you have earned, on what you achieved, in reflection to what society teaches you are important, or your parents teach you. Some of you, your whole lives are based on what your parents said was important. Now, sometimes that can be good, sometimes that can be horrible. Or we'll do it based on society. But when you have God in your life, you realize, man, he is what makes me important. He is what makes me worthy. He is the one who gives me the power to do whatever he's asking me to do, no matter how many times I mess it up. Like I I never wanted to be a preacher. Never wanted to preach every week. I wanted to be a pastor, but I never wanted to preach every week. I didn't think I could ever do it. I think I could ever do it. And when I first started preaching, I was was horrible. (laughs) 
I was really bad. <laughs> I mean, I was, people would ask for me not to preach when the pastor would go away, you know? And, and thankfully, that doesn't happen as much anymore, only here and there. But here I am. And I get to preach as a fallen, sinful, messed up dude by his power. God said, Jeff, you're going to preach my word, and I'm going to give you the power to do it. And the same truth goes for each and every one of us that put our faith in Christ. 1 Peter 4.10, it says, each, as each has received a gift, speaking of spiritual gifts, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, or whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength of God that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In other words, Peter is saying it is by God's strength that we can serve him. It is by God's strength that we answer his call. It's by God's command, not our own. And there's a certain phrase I want you to etch in your mind because when the fear sets in, the self-disappointment sets in, if you don't have a truth to replace it, you're going to believe it. And here's the phrase. It is the divine source that makes the difference. In whatever God calls you to do in your life, whether it's a specific moment, he taps you on the shoulder, or if it's just reading his word, it's the divine source that makes the difference. We teach in scripture that the Holy Spirit of God, part of God, I don't have time to go into the whole theology of it, when you put your faith in Christ, he comes a part of your life. And he directs you, and he guides you, and he gives you strength in your life to do whatever God asks you to do. That's the only thing that God based his call on his life, the power he has given us and what he's asked us to do. I mean, look at God doesn't say to Jonah, Jonah, you've had such a rough time. You've spent so much time in the lower gastrointestinal tract of this fish. It must be hard down there. You haven't eaten or rested in a week. I'm gonna find someone else. You just go rest, my child. No, no, it doesn't do that. He says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He says, go. He says, go. Go do what I have asked you to do. And let me tell you, he didn't just spit Jonah up on the beach of Nineveh, Nineveh, where he got coughed up. He had to walk probably a good 550 miles to get to Nineveh. God's like, I ain't gonna make it any easier for you. Get walking. That'd be like us walking from West Milford to Columbus, Ohio. It'd take a while. But it's the divine source that makes the difference. The call of God in the Bible, when you read, and God gives us these commands, it, it it's never says, do A, B, or C if you're well-rested, or, or, or if you're physically strong, or if you're emotionally strong or you're like the perfect Christian, or the timing is great in your life, or if you have enough time, or if you have enough money. It's not just for extroverts with a gift of gab or the, theol the theologians who have half the Bible memorized. It's for everyone who has put their faith and trust in Christ. Sometimes it's specific moments where he wants you to pray for somebody or invite someone to church or share Christ with somebody. Sometimes it's where he wants you to, to serve uh, in ministries in the church. He might already tapped one of you and said, hey, you need to go check out kids' ministry. Sometimes, 
Sometimes his call is for you to work on yourself. I was meeting with a guy going through marriage counseling a couple weeks ago, his huge anger problem from some hurts in his life, and he's been letting it sit in his life forever, and it hurts his relationships, and it hurt, prevents him from being who God has called him to be. And I'm like, dude, you can't let this sit in your life. You can't, you can't let this dictate your life. You need to literally start working through this to find healing. God's calling you to that. He doesn't call you to sit in failure. There's so many things that God calls us to. And everyone who has a call on their lives, either general or specific, and he calls you all the time. First time, second time, third time, fourth time. If you've been following Jesus for a while, you know how this goes. God does not leave you alone. Hey, Jeff, you need to do this. Jeff, 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 Jeff. He keeps tapping. As many times, over and over, until you breathe your last breath. And every time he calls you, like I said, there's no, like he's not checking to see if you're in a certain place or you're feeling up to it because he knows the divine source is what makes the difference. And it just makes me even wonder right now in your life, what call of God you're not answering because of the doubt and the fear that you have, because you're spending more time looking at yourself than you are looking at God. All right, let's see what happened when we can finally listen to where the Lord is trying to send us. It says, so Jonah, he arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord, and now Nineveh was an extremely great city, three days in journey. Okay, it takes about, I think you could walk across New York in four hours if you're briskly working. What he's talking about here is when you would go to a city, because uh, they were smaller. We, when we read city, we think huge. But these cities, they didn't have millions. They, they had thousands, right? But what you would do is you go into these cities and you would meet people before you started preaching. You know, you get to know the people around. You let them know that you're here. So you did not get stoned when you started talking, which was the response in those days to people they didn't like talking. All right, so moving on. It says, Jonah, finally, he began to go into the city, going a day's journey in, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I'm sure he preached longer than that, but whatever he said, it says, and the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, I had to ask myself, why did the people of Nineveh believe Jonah? I have to imagine in those days and times, he was not the only one walking around with a cardboard sign that said the end is near. Now, interesting enough, you can read in Assyrian text that there's like five different circumstances that were happening in that time to those people that would cause them to respond quickly to a prophet. It was an invasion by an enemy. It was a solar eclipse. It was a famine a major outbreak of disease, or a major flood. All believe these were signs that God was displeased. And so because these were happening in Nineveh around these times, it's not surprising that people were like, yes, we, whatever makes it stop, we'll repent, we'll repent. Now some have also theorized that if, if, if Jonah was really in a fish, right, that the stomach acids 
would have bleached his skin white so that he would come out like Casper. You know, the friendly ghost, you guys remember Casper? And so you imagine you get this guy coming to the gate that's pale white, more pale than anybody else you've seen, especially of where this is located, where everybody's dark-skinned, not a bunch of Europeans here, and it probably got their attention real fast. And the cool thing that, that I thought, man, all right, is let's say his skin did get bleached. You know what it teaches me? That even God, this is how cool God is, that even God can use our disobedience. Did you know that? That when we sin against God, when we disobey God, God doesn't sit up there and go, oh, they sinned. All right, mark them off the, the, the used list. Trash them, throw them away, they're done. That he can even use our disobedience for his purposes. He can use our struggles, our sins, he can use our addictions, he can use our hard hearts, our anger, for his purposes. I mean, God allows us to sin. This is what free will is. He allows us to make our choices, and we have to deal with the consequences. And we've all dealt with them. Some of us, we're dealing with them now. But the cool thing is that even in those consequences, even in that sin, sin there is always hope because there's nothing that God cannot use. There's nothing that God cannot use. And you see this through all throughout the Bible, God using people's disobedience for his purposes, making it part of his plan. Even if, even if it's some of the stories in the Bible are just there to teach us what not to do. Or the sin that I've committed in my life and, and the times I struggle, that I, I can pass these lessons along to my kids or to you as a pastor. God's using it to help hopefully prevent others from making the same stupid mistakes that I did. God can use anything. And I was thinking to myself, how would it change the perspective on our lives in following God is if when we sin and we were disobeyed, that we just didn't sit there, man, man, God got to be done with me. God can be done with me. He's done with me. But we thought, you know what? This stinks, but God can use this. How would that change our mindset? How would that change how we move forward? How would that remove the fear of dealing with things or confessing our sin? I mean, how many of us, we have sin, we keep it hidden. We don't tell anybody else about it because we're afraid of what will happen. That fear, at its core, is doubting God's ability to use it for his purposes. It's it's a lie I believe the enemy wants us to believe because he wants to keep sin hidden in our lives because the more that sin is hidden in our lives, the more damage it's going to do. Right now, some of you here, and if I have some that I need to uh, confess, I pray the Lord shows me and I have the courage, but some of you here, you have sin right now in your life. You need to confess. You need to tell somebody about a mature believer that follows Christ. The only way you're going to do that is if you think God is bigger than your sin. And I pray you have the courage to do it. And I pray you don't wait. You do it today because the longer you wait, the less likely you are. God can use even our disobedience. Even our disobedience God can use. I mean, look at the disobedience of Jonah all the stories and the teachings that we get from Jonah to use our lives. Man, there's nothing God cannot use. Man, God is good. Verse six. 
It says, the word, the, the word of Jonah reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued, by proclamation, and published through Nineveh, a decree of the king and his nobles, that let neither man nor beast nor herd or flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. What we see here is why it is so important, if you're a Christian here today, that you don't give up, that you don't let your disobedience prevent you from answering God's call on your life. It's because we're there to help people have changed lives. That's our role, is to help people change their lives. I mean, look at the king of Nineveh. He covered himself in sackcloth. Sackcloth was his fabric, and it was made of goat or camel hair. Anybody own any goat or camel hair shirts here today? None? Thought there might be a few. Okay, well, goat and camel hair is very coarse. And so if you wear it on you, it hurts. It's uncomfortable. And so they would wear it to remind themselves of their sin. It, just imagine like wearing a giant burlap bag around. That's what they did. And then they would cover themselves in ashes, which it was, it was a cultural thing. That's how they, they presented themselves in a time of mourning. And so, they, and so they did this, and they instituted a fast. If you don't know what fast is, it's where you, you go without food or certain foods for a period of time because you're seeking the Lord in a, in a particular area or just to draw closer to him. And the king, king went so extreme, he didn't even want the animals to eat, which I thought was kind of a little weird. I mean, I don't imagine, like, you know, McKenna, put down the dog food. We're fasting. I don't want Brittany to eat. You know, this is weird, right? My cute little Brittany looking up at me like, feed me. But he was so freaked out by this, he said, look, nobody's eating. We're done. As weird as that sounds, it does show something. It showed repentance. And that's what repentance means, to change your life. To change your life. That's the goal of the call on our lives. Everything you read in the Bible is to draw us closer to God and to help others to repent, to mean change their life and to follow God. Because most all of us, what we do in our lives, we're following ourselves, right? All of our decisions, everything we think about, what's important to us is based on what we want. A Christian goes, okay, what does God want? And that's where I'm going. That's where we're trying to get people to go. And I'm telling you this because I want you to be clear and understanding on what your goal is. Because sometimes as Christians, we're like, well, we want to be nice to people. We want to just like help people, bring them blankets or food, whatever it may be. No, 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 no. Our goal is to help them change their lives and follow Christ. If Jesus is the answer to sin, if he is the only way to salvation, if God created us and he wants relationship with us, he wants to show us who he, how important we are, how loved we are, how incredible he is, and how to, best, to live the right kind of life to the fullest, And the thing that's preventing that is us following ourselves and not a realization of who he is. Then there's no bigger goal that we should have. I mean, we, we've been taught for years that the ticket to heaven is this thing called the sinner's prayer. You pray this one little prayer. Now, prayer is the primary way we talk to God, don't get me wrong. It's a great way to start a relationship with God. Fantastic. 
But claiming to be a follower of Jesus because you prayed a prayer one time and then you just went back to living your old life with, with, with like no change, it's like someone calling themselves a New Yorker even though their house, their job, and their whole livelihood is in Seattle. It doesn't make any sense. We're trying to help people change their lives to follow Christ. That is why it is so important we understand that God can use us. He never fires us. We can't quit on him. That even in our disobedience, he can use us as we turn our eyes to him. And then we see in verse 10, when God saw what Nineveh did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. And that's what our goal is, to save people. And you don't have to look far to know that this world needs saving. There's no other answer to this world. They've all been tried. Christ is the answer. His word is the answer. And listen, for some of you, you've been Christians a while, and, and you're dead in your faith, and you, just, you, you don't feel like you're becoming more like Christ. You're like, I want to become like Christ. I just don't know how. Let me tell you, this is the way to do it. God says, look, if you, you want to be like me, if you want to know me, I live to change people. I live to change the world. And I live to do that through you. And so if you get on board with that, you'll get to know me. You'll get to draw closer to me. But it doesn't happen sitting on the sidelines saying, I don't have gifts, or I don't have talents, or I don't have time, or I don't have the smarts. And God says in return, he says, I don't need any of that. I got the strength. I got the time. I got the power. I just need your will. I just need for you to say, yes, I will. Some of you just need to do that today. You say, yes, I will. I'm going to answer your call, Lord. Now, sometimes because we're Americans, we get really impatient, right? I mean, who gets annoyed when your fast food doesn't come quick enough? Maybe that's just me. Remember what I said earlier? When he got coughed up on the beach, Jonah had to go 550 miles. He didn't get there like that. There was no Star Trek beam me up things in those days, right? He had to walk 550 miles, and those were all just different steps that he took. But each step led to another step. So for you today, my encouragement is wherever God is calling you, is to take that step, to repent of standing still and not answering the call that God has placed on your life, to be the husband or wife that he's calling you to be, to be the father or the mother that he is calling you to be, to be sharing Christ with other people, to be confessing of your sins, to have the courage to work through your hurts and your pains and to grow from them. And then to get people in your life to hold you accountable and say, look, Lord, moving me. I got to do this. This is my step. I need, to, I need to go in. I need to sign up for kids' ministry I need, or whatever it may be. I just I want you to hold me accountable because you know how it gets when we get home. It's easy to forget about it. And we ask the Lord to help us give us the strength. And then as you take a step and another step and another step and another step, you look back and you see how God worked. And that's what God's done with me. I told you I never wanted to be a preacher. So I started preaching here and again in one church. 
And then when I, was, I came to New Jersey, me and you guys remember Pastor Rob, him and me would preach both part-time. And now here I preach most of the time, though I'd love to get other preachers built up because I don't want the church all about me. God has taken me through a process to get me where he wants me to help change lives. He wants to do the same with you. You just need to start taking the steps as you trust in his strength. What step do you need to take?